Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. I have been waiting for this recording, this one, this week, for so long now. And you'll see why when we get into it here. But I wanted to start off today by saying that my guest is somebody that I look up to both personally and professionally, and someone who has significantly saved my soul this past year during COVID in so many ways. I feel very lucky to have her on the podcast today and to be able to call her a friend and a colleague and a partner. She is Megan Williams, CEO of the self-publishing agency based out of West Vancouver, British Columbia, not too far from me. Uh, Megan, hi, and thank you for being here. Howdy, partner. Nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. I only get to see you on Zoom these days. But before we dive into your incredible work and your incredible personal story, I wanted to give the listeners a little more of a backstory about how you and I actually met. I've talked about it briefly before on the podcast, and I didn't go too deep on that because I knew you'd be coming on to talk all about it anyway, but here it is. So it really first began when I started the uh, initial cohort of the Unapologetic Speaker Training Program, which was the fall of 2018. And as I began mapping out how I could really amplify stories in a bigger way from the stages I was creating to the pages of books or even television or movie scripts, it occurred to me that I would probably need support and needed to source an expert who actually knew what they were doing in the publishing world and what that process could look and feel like. And through some trial and error, big trial and error in establishing a partner company that I could work with and who really aligned with my vision and standards for storytelling, I landed on an ad for the self-publishing agency, or for the purposes of this podcast, we will refer to it as TSPA. So get used to that acronym for the next hour, um, which was quite nearby my home, as I just mentioned. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you will know that I am terrible at selling myself, but in my passion for story and for my speaker program, I picked up that phone and I cold called Megan, uh, the owner of TSPA. And after a lot of back and forth positioning and negotiating, I brought Megan on as a teacher in the speaker training program where she has been moonlighting ever since. But our partnership truly did not grow past that role, uh, even though our friendship did, until the spring of 2020, the ominous 2020, when I received a cold call in return from Megan. Now probably more of a warm call, but a, a warm cold call. 
And that's when I began my work with uh, the self-publishing agency or TSPA just this past year and was introduced to some of the most incredible storytellers as a result. Uh, Megan, of course, at the helm being one of them. So that is truly how it all began. It's where we are today. And more importantly, I want to know how Megan got to where she is today. So Megan, here's where we're going to kick it off. Mm-hmm. You didn't just get into publishing by accident. That was no accident for you. Can you tell us how you became the CEO of a publishing company? Where did that start for you? It started off with the intention of keeping something for myself and my family as a legacy in a book form and then discovering that there are not enough resources for people who might be a little bit more entrepreneurial or looking for flexibility like I was. So the original story goes back to um, 2009, 2010, and my um, partner had passed away. And um, your fiance. Yeah. we decided not to, I asked him if he wanted to get married when we knew things were not looking great. And he had told me that he didn't want to do that to me. Mm. So we opted to not get married and just stay in our happy bubble. The two of us unengaged officially and just planning on seeing where life would take us. Mm. And towards the end of that year, um, Chad ended up passing away from an incurable blood cancer he was only 34 and I was really young. I was 25 at the time. And, you know, as anyone is with grief, like when you, you think you might, like, I didn't see it coming. I didn't just, I decided that I was, I was, I was in it for life. I wasn't in it for the consideration of death. Mm -hmm. And when it happened, everything kind of turns on its head a little bit. You grapple and you like, try and hold on to the pieces of your life that did exist with that person. And then you try and piece all of that together and figure out what does the new life might look like, or what does life in transition look like Hmm. for us? um, Chad had started a blog, not realizing that it was going to be documenting the end of his life. And when he decided to share, he was not a very public person about his illness. And it was a very deliberate decision to not share because he never wanted to be Chad with cancer. He just wanted to be Chad. And we saw a documentary um, together. A a high school friend of mine um, did a documentary and she was um, very ill with cystic fibrosis. And Chad and I got her last two tickets to its debut at the Um, Vancouver International Film Festival and it was there that Ava like Chad recognized that through Ava's storytelling that she wasn't actually Ava with cystic fibrosis she was Ava sharing her experience with cystic fibrosis so other people could be brought into her life and understand what she was going through so I will never forget the image of Chad standing up and giving her a standing ovation And that was when he decided he was going to start doing what he could to try and share what he had been through as a way of connecting with other people and, um, you know, bringing people a little bit closer to him. 
What happens, however, as I'm sure I'm not alone in experiencing in different facets of other people's life, is that when you go from being a private person and not sharing what you're going through to a public person and deciding to share your whole life and everything that you are grappling with and having, you know, struggling with and your hopes and your dreams, that social reinforcement of that becomes, that's a wave that comes for you. People start commenting that, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Thank you for this. And like, there's a volume that hits home and it endorses what you're doing. What happened for me as the spouse in that situation, while it was Chad and I setting up a blog and coming up with a name, what that, what happened is, is that I was the, I got, I was in the splash zone of that where people who weren't my friends, but now all of a sudden we're like, I read Chad's blog. Like, I didn't realize you guys were going through this. Is everything okay? Wow. <laughs> so I started a sister blog to it and I maintained it sort of very similarly. Chad was in the hospital. I was doing it from our living room. And when Chad passed, as we tried to figure out what, what was, what was, what were the pieces of my new life or life in transition going to look like? I kind of hung on to that blog and trying to share and to bring, keep people in because people kept caring. Hmm. And then I found, I was cleaning out one of our closets at home and I found a diary that Chad had written when he was first diagnosed, when he was just in his mid twenties. And in the back of it, he had written, publish this book when the time is right. Wow. So I, that was my first as some people call it, a breadcrumb. That mm. was my first light bulb of this is something that I might be able to do. Yeah. This is something that I can take from these are some of the pieces that I can start pulling together. Mm. So I don't have a background in writing or I am not somebody who's dreamt of writing a book for ever, <laughs> but I did decide that this would be something that I wanted to pursue and I had the content for it. And fortunately wow. I had the social endorsement that maybe there were people who would care about this story. Wow. Okay. This is, this is so big and so profound. And I know this story, but even as I listen to you tell me today, I'm getting like a whole bunch of different kind of waves overcoming me as well. Like the, the details that come up about it. I feel like I need to take a big deep breath for you, but (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot, but it's interesting because, and we talk about on this podcast a lot, but you and I talk about this is truly the importance of figuring out when the time is right for you to share the story and when that feels good. And you mentioned before the term legacy that you really getting into publishing or publishing a book at all was not necessarily for you about, you know, I want to be a writer or I want to be an author and that's the dream. It is more about, I want to capture this story so that Chad's dream or his voice and what he wanted to do in service to others and sharing is really out there in the world in the best and most kind of honorable way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I had said from the very beginning, cause I mean, at the time there's no Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. is still the only way people are communicating. I remember thinking like, I think like there's, there's been kind of consistently 300 people paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that was like, but that was like nice, but I didn't, but the whole intention was really clear for me that 
I knew that from other people who've experienced grief that they say that time heals and somebody had told me that in a few years, this is not going to feel as fresh as it does, but neither are the memories and neither are the stories. And there's going to be a few things that you wish that you would remember. Mm. So I started like jotting, like, you know, he used to cut his chicken breast with a butter knife and it, but I would like write that down because I just like, because now I'm married and I have a stepdaughter who we have a whole very full life together. And some of those details, had I not written them down, then I would never be able to write the book the same way now. So when it comes to legacy and, and timing, um, I'm so grateful for my like 25 year old self that I decided to keep to, I just decided to write and never take for granted that I was going to have as fresh a memory of what was going on, or I would be able to capture a scenario the same way as when I was so close to it. That is such a great tip, which we'll get into later about kind of tips for writers, but what a great tip anyway, for anybody who is living through anything right now, that if it feels comfortable, if it feels safe, if it feels like something that you can do to help you cope through it, actually putting that and those words down on paper and channeling that energy. And as you said, dropping us into those visuals during that time of your life may end up serving some greater purpose someday. Yeah. You like when your life is so happy or things are going really well for you, you can't access that same kind of sadness that you might, that might really bring a reader closer to you or um, a listener closer to you than if you were to have made the difficult decision and kind of muscle through some of that sadness and write. The inverse is the same. When you're in a really dark place, you almost can't imagine the happiness. So you just write what you know at the time and then like, you know, write what you know when you're happy. I mean, think of like Adele. Those are some great albums that she wrote when she was heartbroken. (laughs) You wouldn't be able to access that like... The greatest albums, yeah. Like, she's got some of the greatest like saddest hits of all time and I can guarantee she wasn't writing them when she was on her honeymoon right and this is I love this point that you're making because art in general writing in general music whatever you want to call it but writing a book specifically that we're talking about may not actually be a linear process it may not be you know I'm going to write my book and I'm going to take this year and I'm going to publish it in 12 months. I'm going to move into my cottage and start writing with my music and, you know, me and the dog and the cat and send the kids to boarding school or whatever. It's not a linear process. It is something that you may actually come by, by way of, you know, an accidental journal that's found in a closet. So keeping our eyes and ears open to opportunities and the callings that we have in our life, I think is, it's a really interesting message here too. Yeah. And and I think what one thing that you and I talk all the time with our clients about is, is that your memoir or whatever you're writing doesn't have to be your whole life. Right. It doesn't have to start from your childhood and it doesn't have to end where you are now. You can write a really valuable, in some cases, super entertaining book that shares a pocket of your life. And I know the phrasing is, is that life is short. But life is really long when you look at it in terms of story. Yes, yes, because it's like, just there's so many. Look at how, like, before we started recording this podcast, look at how much time we spent, like, talking about the day's stories alone. So, you know, you stretch that out over decades. Like, that's not one book. Um, but I think some people might have 
um, and overwhelm mm-hmm. when they're like, I, I've always wanted to tell the story. I've always wanted to write it. And I'm like, well, just write that part of the story then. There's yeah. no, you don't have to overwhelm yourself or even bore your readers with like what your life as a teenager was like if it doesn't matter. So. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. I love that advice. And just for our listeners, Megan's book is called Our Interrupted Fairy Tale. Our Interrupted Fairy Tale, which became a national bestseller. And um, what's so interesting too, is like you'd mentioned earlier, you were never really on the path to be a writer. You certainly probably were not on the path to be own a publishing company. You also had some kind of career interrupted fairy tale and it set you off on this new path. So at the time that you had this story, you had this journal, you had this calling truly to write and even Chad's voice saying, publish this when the time is right. It felt to you like the right time. You had the captive audience of people that really wanted to hear this story and be there for you and to support the story. And what was the next step for you? as somebody who was just wandering through the world with no publishing background at all? Um, well, probably like all authors and all people trying to figure something out, Google is the next step. <laughs> and, but it, be, it quickly became really overwhelming to try and figure out what is next. And as I, I know, I've sort of said it a few different times, but my really, once I had a manuscript in my hands, I'm like, I feel really good about this. And I feel like I have something. The only reference I had to what does publishing a book look like was coming from the entertainment industry, which was movies and TV, which shows, as you described, there's no kids on the scene. You are sitting in a cabin. You, somebody paid you a million dollars for you to, new be, to be newly rich and famous. And now That's you're finishing great. your manuscript. So yep. beautiful. And yep. that was, that was like a, I wanted that. I was, it was the only sure. visual I had. And then mean, but then fortunately you start looking at like, what does a real life author look like? Oh, a real author, real life author is published and they also teach a program at SFU or a real life author is an instructor somewhere else, or they run a business. Those are the real life authors, but I still, there was a gap in my observation. There was where I was and looking at where, like, what are these people who I perceive as successful authors? How did they get there? So go back to Google, start looking into things. And the only thing that was really coming up was there was this really negative, um, defaulted it was like a default language like if you can't get a trade publisher Mm. go and self-publish these are all of the things that will be a problem for you but go for it anyways you can do okay if you're just interested in an ebook ah so it was almost framing it out like it was some kind of diy process versus the professional process exactly and given that i was in a i was working full-time i was surrounded with professionals where we were always working to be in a, you know, building out websites that were the best, or I worked in the Olympics. So you're like, what presents the best to the public? So I wasn't in a scenario where I, I was around very many DIY people. I was always like, go big, don't cut any corners and deliver on what the goal is. So I had that same professional mentality going into publishing, but there wasn't, I couldn't find a place where I could feel like that was actually going to be okay. I felt like self-publishing was this like, oh, if you decide to do it, you know, good luck. Right. (laughs) 
And whereas like the prof- the uh, trade publishing world looked really shiny and like, oh, but the re- there was two, I remember there was two different blogs that I read and one let me know that it was going to take like anywhere between, it was starting to feel like it could take anywhere between one and seven years for a publisher to take this story and add it to their catalog. That's if they took it. And that was if I found somebody, a home for this story. Right. Second thing that I read was, um, it said that the only way you can get into bookstores is if you're a trade published author. And I was, Mm -hmm. or, and I was like, nah, that can't be true because like, you know, if you know any, any of the basic principles of marketing and presenting a quality product, I'm like, I, I that can't be necessarily true, but it also wasn't so important to me at the time, because again, it was just a legacy project. It just wanted to do right by Chad. I wanted to do right by our story. Mm. So I decided that I'm like, well, I don't want to wait because I have these people who have been kindly supporting. I feel connected to them now. The story is real for me right now. I don't want to wait seven years. Yeah. And I don't want to have a publisher to come in and tell me that these are the things I did get. I was shortlisted for a um, or a long listed for an award. And in the review, somebody said, really good story, well-written, would have liked to see more depth from the main character. I'm like, I am the main character. <laughs> I can't make this more deep. I am not that deep. <laughs> so, and like that type of feedback makes me realize that like a publisher could come in and change my chapters or make my, me more interesting or Chad more interesting, but then it wouldn't be true. Right. So anyways, I just decided that I was going to self-publish. I wasn't going to cut any corners and I was going to just, I just right after Google called everybody, anybody who said that their cousin had published, I asked for their cousin's phone number. I like just did so much cold calling and like, can I pick your brain conversations to figure out how could I do this without making it feel or be read as if this was a vanity project mm. or that this didn't have a play, didn't, wasn't quality enough for the marketplace. So I love that. And I love it because you're talking to something. I think that it, the authors that I've worked with, at least through your agency and even just writers in general, artists, creatives that I work with, we do have, and I lump myself into that. We do have a passion for the work that we do. There is nobody really putting out a book that says, oh, well, do what you want with it. You know, mess around with the main character, mess around with the story of how my life fell apart. You know, we're not really saying that in a lot of ways. So while, I mean, trade publishing, great, self-publishing, great, but there is, it sounds like there has to be more of a give and take when you move towards trade publishing. The first, it sounds like, is how do you even get past the gatekeepers? And then after, if you get past the gatekeepers, what then are you either sacrificing or compromising on as far as your artistic integrity once you're through the gate and or timeline? Exactly. And it makes, it makes sense because like the traditional was traditional or the trade publishing world, like they have, they have quotas and numbers and like, and boards of directors that they have to report to. And it makes sense that they have to gatekeep to a certain extent because they are following a statistic trend. So we know traditionally these books sell really well. So this is what we're going to put our, like our money into for this season. Um, So 
I, I respect that they, they have to do that. The, but for someone in my position who actually doesn't want someone to come in and tell me, I want somebody to come in and tell me how to make my story better and how to make it successful. But I don't necessarily, because it's so intimate and so personal, I don't know if I'm, I, I wasn't ready to have someone come in and tell me that I needed to be more interesting or break my heart by telling me that we actually don't think we could sell this book. Right. Or that the chicken needs to be cut with a steak knife because it's not going to make sense in chapter seven. Exactly. And you're like, well, <laughs> I mean, I saw it. It worked. Um, but, you know, to that, I had a really interesting conversation with, um, I, once I self-published, I, um, I was approached by HarperCollins because the sales were going so well. Which is and, a trade publisher. Which is a trade publisher. And it's one of the big five in the industry. They're, it felt like... It, like at the time, it was just this jackpot phone call. I had to reread the email to say, yes, I was available. I thought it was spam. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, I've since, we, we stay in touch. And um, she, she, since, she told me two years ago, she and I met at a, a conference. And she was like, you know, I went back to the table with your book seven different times. Wow. And, every time it was never met with this book isn't worthy of being part of HarperCollins catalog. The conversation was we already have three books like this coming out next year. So the validation for me is, is again, I thought here I was bracing myself for being told I wasn't worthy, but really their decisions are based on numbers. Mm -hmm. And I, that's like, that feels a lot better, but it's, uh, it shifted my perspective about what the industry does. Right. So there yeah. are gatekeepers, they serve a function for that side of the industry. And now fortunately with self-publishing, you're just hopping right over the gate. I guess the question is too, as far as the entrepreneurial journey goes is, are there, are, is there enough platforms out there right now, things like social media, most of which are free, where you can start to build your own brand, you can start to tell your story. And I think more especially, and this is relevant to my own personal journey, when do you just wrap your arms around your own self-belief? When do you stop waiting for somebody else to believe in your story enough to follow you along on that journey? When do you finally say, I'm ready to build my own stage. I'm ready to grab my own microphone. I'm ready to write my own book. I'm ready to tell this story because it means enough to me now to be in service to the people watching and listening. Oh, I don't even know if there's a right, I, I don't, I think it's such an individual decision, right? When to take that leap and when to trust yourself enough. And I don't know, do you ever like, how often are you wondering if you did the right thing? <laughs> Do you know, I, that's a great question. And I genuinely, and I hope you would say the same thing now that I've heard your backstory, but I'm just speaking from the heart here. I absolutely cannot imagine where I would be if I didn't just start if I didn't just do the damn thing when the calling was there, because the way that I first imagined it and the way that I first imagined my journey and I want to stand on the stage and I want to tell my story. And hopefully the listeners have heard enough podcast episodes of me rambling on about this and what got me to where I am building this stage, producing these events and starting to like cultivate this whole brand that I have now. Not all of it worked out the way I thought it would when I first started. It didn't look, it doesn't look now the way 
I thought it was going to look, it looks better. It looks bigger. It looks different, but it looks so much more like opportunity that I could never have seen coming. There is no way to be entirely certain about what the future is going to hold. There is only what you have control over right this moment. And I will harp on this all day, every day, forever. I'm such an advocate for people just stepping into their calling when the timing is right. So much so that your story and Chad's story speaks to me at such a deep level. It's like publish this when the, when the time is right or write this story when the time is right. It's like, when is, when is right other than when it feels right in your soul, when it just feels like this is the mission right now today. And after that happens, I will detach from any future outcome. I will detach from whether or not I'm eventually in a cabin where my kids to go to boarding school. I'm going to detach from that outcome and I'm going to just do what feels aligned right now with this story at this time in the world. And no, I wouldn't change a thing. I don't even know if that was your question, but I wouldn't change. No, but so what, what I'm curious about, so when, how do you balance um, detachment Mm -hmm. from drive. Yeah. Because I I don't know, for me, like I, there's the first step, which of course, soul calling everything about this feels I'm ready to go. So there's that, but it's only in hindsight that I reflect that I'm like, I just wanted this legacy. It sounds very like, you know, not driven to say, I just wanted this thing and it was born out of love and just creation. But the reality is, is throughout it, I'm dreaming that this book is a national bestseller. I'm dreaming, I'm going to chapters and I'm seeing that book on shelves. And so how, how do you, I don't have an answer for this. I'm just asking you, like, how do you balance that detachment with the drive to create something big and meaningful? Yeah, I, this is so great. And I, and it's kind of, I talk about this a lot in my coaching practice, which is like it, the hustle, that feeling of like being in the hustle when people say, I'm going to hustle for this. I'm going to hustle for this. It usually is because we are hustling towards one very specific and niched out goal. We're going to make X amount of dollars. We're going to sell X amount of books. We're going to have X amount of followers, whatever that kind of looks like. We're going to drive this particular car, whatever that external goal is, we're hustling towards that. And we're forgetting what we're actually doing day to day in the moment. We have no idea what the next right thing is. And while I know Frozen 2 stole this song and made Anna sing it, I think, about doing the next right thing. If you have children, you will know what I'm talking about. Do the next right thing. This is actually a lesson that I learned in my journey with Deepak Chopra. He talks about spontaneous right action. He talks about setting the intention and being very clear on that intention, but then releasing from the expected outcome. Because God knows there's nothing certain in life but uncertainty, as I'm sure you know with your personal backstory. There's nothing certain but uncertainty. So you cling on to that and you grab onto something external. And I promise you that in the moment, as you're taking the next step, you're probably taking the next I don't want to say wrong step, but you might not be taking the next right step. You might be taking steps that feel more like hustle and less like flow, less like alignment with what you're supposed to be doing. And it really is sometimes a very somatic experience. Check in with yourself. How does this feel as I'm moving through it? It is a gut check. Does it feel right to do this thing right now today? And if it feels right, then wait and see what happens after that. And then do the next right thing after that. 
and then check in with yourself. Is this still the right direction? Or did I actually just pick up new knowledge, new wisdom? Did I learn something else? Did I, do I want to change course now? And not attaching to the outcome is the only way you're ever going to get onto the right path. Yeah. And, and to put it in a, in how we've worked with some of our authors, there's a lot of like, okay, my book's going to launch and I'm going to have it in all of these different places. And like, how do I do that? How do I, I, do I need a, somebody to do my PR for me? Like there's this, as you said, there's this hustle to achieve that destination. But what we try and in, like work very strategically with our authors is, is, is that there's so much opportunity that comes and I experienced it this probably the same way that you have is that there's so much opportunity that comes when you decide to take the first step and then you like achieve that first for me is publishing, but you, you all of a sudden like end up in a room that you never like a door opened and you ended up in a room that you never, ever, when you're just holding that laptop with a word doc on you, you never thought that room was going to you didn't even know what that room looked like, but now you have a new set of skills and information to belong in that room. Totally. And you don't know who you meet in that room because they might be, Oh, Hey, like just pop over here. I've actually got, um, you'd be really eligible for this award. And then you like open that door and all of a sudden you're an award-winning author. And then, or you might be asked to be on a podcast that you never thought you'd be on. So to that extent, like we want to prepare ourselves and then as and I probably am always working on this, but I also want to work on it with our authors is that we're mostly, we just want to make sure that you are as prepared as possible with the skills, the quality product and the vocabulary to belong in the next room because the next one that comes, the door that opens after that room will be one that you couldn't plan for. That's exactly right. Yeah. And there's nothing, I mean, and I think we have to detach from that word driven too. It doesn't make you any less driven if you don't have, you know, one niched out goal that you're kind of hustling towards every single day. There's actually a lot of drive and there's a lot of, um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? There's a lot of integrity in your process as, a, as an author, as a business person at all, to actually just settle into the decision you make that day, figure out what you learned from it, what you didn't learn from it, and then make a different decision the next day. And that next decision might look like the one you thought you were going to make, and it might not. But as you say, when the door opens to another room, who flipping knows? what's coming next. And you have to be open because the more you're in hustle, the more you're driving towards one goal and getting stuck in that channel, the less expansive you are, the less um, availability you have, even in your own eyeballs to see the opportunity that comes up in that door. You're not listening for it. If you're in that, that hustle mode, you're listening for it when you're in your own openness and expansion. And this is going to sound like everything I've ever said to every author who's ever been on the phone with me and every client otherwise, but ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? Why this book? Why did I decide to write this book? Why is it important to me? Why does it matter? And stay grounded in that. Because if the root is I, I wrote this actual book to make $1 million and live in a cabin, I, I guarantee you, it's going to take you a lot longer to get there probably because you're so focused on that end goal. You're so attached to an outcome that you have no idea whether you will or you won't, mm -hmm. but you're not going to be open to a possibility that might open the door to $2 million or three cabins. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you remember the first time that you like accomplished what you thought was end goal? 
and arrived there and and like do you remember what that was where you're like okay because I think mine was probably I want a thousand followers and 20 authors and I want I don't know I don't even remember what it was but I but did you blow past it do you remember what it was or were you like oh my god that's so small well it's I mean yeah and in hindsight even just starting this podcast (laughs) I'm like okay what am I going to do next no but I I the example that comes to mind immediately is the very first year of unapologetically her the very first year that I put on that event that was big. I mean, that was quite a large scale production, 300 people and celebrities flying in and, you know, producing a, that was a multi-tiered 12 and a half hour event. I think I can't even remember. It was so multi-leveled and multi-layered. And although I had production experience and event experience, I didn't have event experience like that. So for me, that was a big goal. And I felt like, wow, the day is coming. I can still literally picture everything about that day and how it started and how it ended all the different events in between. And as soon as it was over the very next day, I was Googling, who can we bring for year two? Mm. Like what's next? And year two went bigger and bolder and year three went kind of bigger and bolder. But here's the thing. Year three was on March 7th. And by March 10th, like the world shut down because of COVID. Right. And we are coming up on unapologetically hers always international women's day. We're coming up on what would have been year four, which is not happening. You heard it here first today. I'm (laughs) announcing it live (laughs) here. We will not have an in-person event. I'm sure everybody out there guessed that based on COVID protocols currently still in action, Um, but there won't be a live event. So, and here I am sitting and talking to you, working with authors. So had I closed down at that point, I think, and said, that was the only goal I ever had was this one event in this fashion on this day and this time of year with this same format, I will tell you right now, I would have no company for the rest of my life. I would not be doing anything. I wouldn't be sharing my gifts and I wouldn't be living in the purpose that I'm living in now and working with you and and creating bigger, brighter things. So, yeah. Is that pivoting, do you think? Or is that just just the willingness to be in the next room? Is that the picking up the call? Yeah, for me, it's, I would define it just purely as openness and something that I have had to cultivate for five, at least what, five, six, I don't even know how many years now is checking in with myself and quite literally asking myself, how do I feel right now? Mm. And I do it after almost every day and every decision and every client and every client meeting and every, every single thing that I take on every decision I make in my business. And otherwise I will actually just ask myself, did that feel good? Do you want to do it again? Right. Or do you want to do it in a different way? Or do you want to reshape? Like the learning is really internal learning for me. Like I can learn things from other people. I'll pick up wisdom and I'll start to go, well, that's interesting. I'd love to research a little bit more about that. But at the end of the day, if I ask myself, why am I doing what I do? It's because it feels really, really good when I do it. It feels so great when I work with an author. It feels great when I have conversations with you. It feels great when we talk about the build out of story and the potential for story and why story matters and the importance of it. That feels really good to me. And so if an opportunity presents or if the phone rings, I pick it up and I ask myself, does this align with that feeling? Yeah. And I, have you found, I've, I've found for myself that in the last four years of running the company that 
the, your, tr- the trust actually, like you, you, you tr- learn to trust yourself more with every year that goes on, or sometimes it's every month, the things that I say yes to now, or the willingness that I have for things now are entirely, um, more trusting than what I had before. I used to say yes to things or take on things that I, and I know that sounds really high level, but I'm just thinking I would have like taken five hours to do a PowerPoint presentation and go and speak for free and like, you know, drop a hundred dollars in parking and food on a night just to, you know, just to help someone else's network grow or what. And and that's just a really, that's a specific example that I remember, but I would never now take the call without it being like, well, what is the exchange here? Why? Like, am I just like call seven on this list? And like, you just kind of so my, my trust and my tolerance has changed. Have you found the same for your business too? Oh, hundred percent. And, and I think with just the added angle of like my tolerance for doing things that I actually don't love to do mm-hmm. has changed my tolerance for, and, and my, I didn't have a big tolerance for this to begin with, but my tolerance for waiting. If I want to do something, I will do it. If I want an author a book, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. It really doesn't sit well with me or my soul. Maybe that's just who I am. And I've always been like that. But to wait for somebody else to tell me it's okay to do it. Yeah. To tell me that this is the right time. For me, it's like, if it feels good right now and it feels good today, I'm going to take that risk and I'm going to do it in a informed way. And I'm going to make good decisions. And I'm going to think about how it's going to impact my family and my future and my work and my friendships and all of that. That's all important to me. But at the end of the day, it's like, my self-belief at this point is, I think I just rely on it so much because I have to, because in my journey with my trauma, my depression, my healing, my anxiety, my chronic pain, I will tell you, there's not one doctor, not one lawyer, not one person, not one colleague, not one partner, not one business, not one organization that has any belief in you if you don't. Yeah. They do not think that you're going to get better. They do not, I hate to say they don't care because there are people out there that care, but not a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines just looking for other people to cheer on. We all have our own personal journeys. We all have our own personal stories that we are evolving with and into. And when I learned that and I knew fully that if I want to grab the reins of this life and I want to do the things that feel good for me, I cannot be focused on the external gratification of something that might come 10 years down the road or some external number like a thousand followers or 10,000 followers or 50,000 followers or $50,000. It just didn't matter what that was. It was so much more clear to me that I just have to do what I love to do. I have to believe that I'm good at it, which I do. And when I work with business owners and authors now, I truly step into those conversations and I just go like, I feel like I'm so here to serve in such a profound way because I'm doing everything that my soul is calling for that I imagine that it must feel like that for authors because that's what I hear on the phone all the time it's like they're they are stepping into actual service callings they are stepping into their own self-belief and saying my time is now like give me yeah. stage, give me the microphone give me and that. it's contagious isn't it and yes. for anyone who's like because I I don't know how you feel when but when I listen to different like business podcasts or you know what whatever you're trying to grow or manifest in your life we all like listen and pay attention to that material and sometimes it can feel really not maybe sometimes discouraging but also sometimes unrelatable when you're looking at someone who's 
four years or eight years published ahead of you and they can reflect on their experience. But like what you're saying is, is similar to, I think we've both experienced it, especially since working together is that like there is, when you step in today and you do what feels good today, um, there's a piece of magic that unlocks itself. And what felt good four years ago actually still felt good four years ago. And now then, so that when we talk about that trust and the evolution of trust, that's not to say like, you're going to have the same trust of yourself right now that you're going to have in four years, but there's a, there's like magic that happens in that first six weeks of like stepping into like a very brave decision, whether that's writing, whether that's deciding to hire a publishing company or bring on a coach, there's like magic that unlocks itself. And in six weeks, you're like, Oh my God. Like I just felt something like something else unlocked for me. So to that extent, I just want to like reiterate and nail home the fact that it doesn't, um, magic isn't something that you look back on. Like you can actually feel it every single step of the way. Right. Yes. 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 I love that. Magic is something you feel every step of the way. And the other thing I think that we undervalue so much as entrepreneurs is the importance of feedback. And that is internal feedback. How does this feel? But it is also, and and we really have to remember this too, and detach from that need for everybody to love us on day one, because they might not. I mean, my first iteration of unapologetic, like I had 300 people that loved it. And I had 10 really horrendously horrible emails that showed up about how terrible the event was. Like I had to field some customer service stuff on, on year one. And I still went ahead with year two. I still pressed on and I still Googled who are we going to like, you know, who's the next big person for year two. Like there is a way that I can collect feedback and authors can do this. Entrepreneurs of all kinds need to do this more is value the feedback that they're receiving because that is such great information. If nobody, it seems like nobody's paying attention. It doesn't mean that you did the wrong thing. It doesn't mean your dream was misaligned or that you shouldn't have written that book or shouldn't have produced that event. What it means is that you just picked up some real valuable information. And by the way, you've got valuable information for free. That is education. You can't even pay for, which is real life on the ground. Oh, I get it. Like maybe my listeners aren't on Instagram. Maybe they're on Facebook. I didn't know that until I tried it. I didn't know that until I put the book launch out and I realized that I'm getting more sales through my email mailing list than I was through my LinkedIn, which is where I originally thought. So if you're attached to it happening through LinkedIn, you're going to miss the opportunity for the learning and the growth that happens. So it is, I mean, it's really detachment on all levels, but. Yeah. And there's, and there's a fine line between the, because what I think in an impatient you know, generation that we are where we can make decisions as quickly as we are inspired to do that in the, on the, there is the make it happen for yourself because when the time is right, you step into that and magic will unfold. Mm -hmm. But then on the, the business side of it and the actual getting the word out, there's an impatience that also like people have lost trust in themselves. They're like, oh my God, I, I need to, like my new thing is going to be on Clubhouse or my new thing is going to be, I, I need to like take an Instagram course to get more followers because that's what I'm being told, you know? So yes. there's, um, it's trying to find that balance between like, if you think of a gymnast, you know, 
the story, the change and the, the production of whether it's a show or a book or your business development, that's like being on the, like the rings or the bars, right? In gymnastics, you're just, you're moving quick and you're hoping you're performing well. But what we want, like what I, I've probably listened to enough people around me, like sort of be squirmish about all of their decisions. You want to get off the, you want to finish and you want to stick that landing and you don't want to take the step too fast. You don't want to be like, okay, this wasn't working. I got to change again. I got to write another book, like stick the landing, hear the applause yes, and then take a breath Mm -hmm. and like actually just like pay attention to what, how strong you feel on that landing. Yeah. And yeah. then take your step and like, you know, wave to your crowd and all of a sudden get your gold medal. But, but I think if you like trying to step, like you, you, you're off balance in the beginning cause you're trying something too hard or you're trying something too much. Um, you don't stick the landing the same way. And it also throws you off course. Like your balance is off again. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And there's like, I mean, there's, there's a power in the patience there as well of really just checking in and saying it didn't go exactly as planned, but it doesn't need to. That's not the goal here. Again, coming back to like, why? Why does this story matter? And something you and I talk about all the time. I mean, we will at some point be able to talk more about the future and the trajectory of like our two storytelling companies together and what that's going to look like in the future. Um, But one of the things that we really focus on is like, why is story important? What is the history of story? Why do human beings need story? And if we can really ground into why story is important, why we need it as a legacy, why we even need to be in the creative process of storytelling at all, we can get out of our own way with all of the limiting beliefs and all the external kind of attachment to things that really don't matter, frankly, Mm -hmm. in the end, you know? Well, think of like, if we think about like the evolution and how like writing has evolved since, you know, 300 BC or something when we were looking at pictographs like the value of communication is has always been there and then it used to be in pictographs and then it was in symbols but that wasn't um a symbol to me meant something different to you so now we have to like find well what is how does that what does that mean for one another Mm -hmm. so now like writing and storytelling has to evolve to find a common connection yes And then as technology evolves, now all of a sudden we have to, not only in order for you and I to connect, um, not only did we have to have a ground rule of like your symbol means the same as mine, but it's also finding that language that is going to allow us to like on a, you know, on a evolution level, like survive. I need to be able to communicate to you by story, which could be fact. Don't eat those berries. You'll die. Yep. Um, but then we see that evolution continue. And now all of a sudden, like, don't put, don't step in that hole over there. There's a problem. Watch for that opportunity. Like what we're doing right now is exchanging stories. So the evolution of it is like, it's a new form of survival. It takes on a new meaning when you're not like looking to die every day, but, (laughs) but the value of story, it can be really distilled down to something as like, as like helping us all survive, I think. And, um, I was 
in a, I was listening to uh, Libby Moore and Kelly Wolf talk and, you know, to bring it into what the year that we've just had, there is the, in terms of survival, there's the pandemic, the worldwide pandemic that we've just experienced. But what there has also been is this internal pandemic that's happened as a result. And that's what they were talking about. And but again, where we're seeing that the value of story come out is that we can't even see each other and we still need to be able to communicate somehow. We're fit looking for new common grounds. How can I not communicate in symbols, not even sometimes communicate in words? I just need to like talk to somebody about, are you feeling this? What are the changes you are making? So long-winded answer, but they like, I think... I should be so bold to say that like the value of storytelling is actually survival. Yeah. And, and I would, if I had to phrase that myself, I would go equally as dramatic, if not more and say it is literally has been my actual survival Mm -hmm. on so many levels. And there have been days where, but for story, but for storytelling, but for connection, I don't know if I could have made it through the day. Like there's been some, and I think everybody, especially in the pandemic, as you mentioned, connection is like, it's lacking. We are really struggling to reconnect. And the power of story at this time in the world, when we can truly actually use it for the greater good, as well as for our personal good. I mean, I'll just keep being dramatic if I need to, but that's (laughs) really powerful to me. And it's something I, I mean, I know that's, but and if and I don't and I think um, to add that add to that like if you look at every pocket of time, yeah. like historically you think of I mean we just go back if we're just going back to like this you know the twentieth century twenty first century you're looking at every, storytelling has it will all I'm sure every generation is like it's never been more important now to be able to communicate and share your story. And then the next generation comes through with the next world event and the next experience. And you're like, it's never been more important now to get your story out. And the consistency throughout is not only the value of it, but what it does for humankind and our evolution. And there's going to be some people like, nah, I don't want to share. Like it's, it's, it doesn't feel good. I'm going to wait. Yeah. But that doesn't help anyone's evolution. You're not actually helping your fellow humans evolve that way if you're keeping your experience to yourself. Exactly. And I think, I mean, this is maybe just a real personal note, but I have, my parents are immigrants to Canada. So it's just my parents, (coughs) excuse me, and us, us kiddos. And my ancestors are like across the pond and then some. And when I hear stories, even from my family, just to kind of circle back on the legacy piece here, there are so many days where I wish that there was a piece of writing that I could dig into a family story. I could hear more about my great, great grandmother. I could hear something that I didn't know before about who I am to really figure out my own personal identity and where I fit in, in the world and what that belonging looks like to me on a personal level. And I often, when I come across authors who are writing memoirs and stuff, I honestly, I'm in awe and it's inspiring. And I think how brave of you to be moving your story, not just out in the world for me right now and other listeners and readers who are going to pick it up off the bookshelf, but for like your future generations of your family and your lineage who can look back and say, wow, I did not know that happened in 2020. 
-hmm. or I didn't know that happened to them, or what a powerful piece of wisdom. And if I root into pieces of wisdom that I know to be true, it's usually stuff that I heard from my mom, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, people who have learned things, not always family, but just people in my circle who provided me such a beautiful piece of information and wisdom that opened up my eyes and opportunity and created kind of a healing path for me. So I know we've moved right off of publishing and into like the world of beautiful, profound story, but I think this is also deeply connected to why we do what we do, why you and I have connected in such a way. And I think where we're going in the future with story and how we can bring it, not just from the page, but back to the stage, like we did with the author's only speaker training program that we did. And we had this virtual event that yeah. I don't even know how to describe it in words. It was like, I mean, it's well, like, how have we decided to describe it from now on? If you know, you know, and that's, we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> That's the new tagline. If you know, you know, if you've been to one of these events, you know, if you've been part of the speaker program, you know, but if you've also published your book and received that book in the mail for the first time and held your book in your arms, like when you know, you know, yep. and it comes down to whether like, if we think about the variety in the speaker program or the variety in the authors, like whether it's a memoir to tie together your ancestry or it's a children's book that is part like what you're you're doing is you're, you're contributing with your story so it can be a fantasy story and you've got parents who've their daughter's written a fantasy book and they're going to work be like my daughter wrote a book and i'm going to buy it for you and whatever it is that your decision to publish a book or to share your story on whatever platform it's contribution and it's contribution to other people's lives and it's contribution to your own legacy i think i love that uh, I'm going to wrap this up with one kind of final question for you here. If somebody out there right now is listening and thinking, I have a story, I know I have a story. What is your advice for them? I have a story. I want to publish it, or I have a story. I want to share it. What's your one piece of advice and takeaway? Well, I mean, the initial like marketing plug is call us, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the real answer is like, if you already like, then now, now the time is right. Yeah. If you already feel it now, the time's right. Yeah, totally. And what can an author expect if they have a story in their head right now, what can they expect as far as if they have a dream, I want to get my book out in the world by the summer. Is that a timeline that's reasonable? Could an author say, I could have a book in my hands by summer? What would that process look like? I think, yes. I, um, yes. If you have a finished, <laughs> if your manuscript is finished, mm -hmm. then I think it's not unreasonable to say six months. You can look by, to have your, hold your dream in your hands by the summer. If you're looking to start writing it and want to work with a team of people to help write it, I think like it's fair to like put it at a year. It's typically less than that, but you want to make sure that as we've talked about through entrepreneurialism and everything that sometimes the magic isn't holding the dream in your hand. It's what come, what lands on your, in the next room from you throughout the whole process. So you want to give it like rushing to publish is never the, the, 
the rewarding experience that someone who is like strategically pacing themselves. Um, so, yeah. And I think, I mean, the other thing I think is important to note too, because I have a lot of people come across my desk that say, I'm, I'm not a writer, but I have a story in me. And that, as you said, even at the top of this podcast, you were not a writer. Mm-hmm. You did not know what publishing was. You had no dream necessarily to publish a book, but you had a story. In your case, it was hiding in your closet on a journal, in a journal, and maybe it existed on a blog or pieces of a blog, but it existed truly within the four walls of your home and the experiences mm-hmm. that you held. And so I think that I would love that for anybody, whether they want to be a speaker, whether they want to be an author, anybody who feels that they have a story in them, there are professionals that can help you without a gate. Yep. And the same way that you can recognize that you're like, you're, you need to cut your hair. So you're just going to go and pay someone to cut your hair and make it look good. Same goes for book publishing. I I don't like, (laughs) I know if a toilet needs fixing, but it doesn't mean that I'm the right person to learn how to fix it. So the, you know, it's, there's, there when people pause because like, I actually don't know what to do. And I don't know if this is, I don't know how to finish where like, there's nothing, there's not a single resource that you can't like that you can't have support with, or sorry, that's not the right language. There isn't a single thing that you don't, you can't get support with. Yeah. I can't, I have yet to come across it. So if you can find it, I'll be like, I'll give you 20 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's it though. You can put it towards your publishing journey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Find me a resource that I can't help you with or find me something that you need help with that I can't help you with and, uh, or advise on, and then I'll give you 20 bucks. So I love it. So <laughs> I, I love this so much. Um, and I'm so glad that we did this recording. I feel like we should probably do one every few months and just touch back on the evolution of story because our story is going to change. I think TSPA is growing at an exponential rate right now, as we've heard in some of your other press interviews. Um, I know my storytelling business is jumping leaps and bounds right now because there is a calling. The world is looking for connection and belonging and survival. And here we are like with this platform. So we welcome all storytellers to pick up the phone, make a cold call, call, <laughs> Megan, call Anna. You never, you never know where it might lead you. Um, and then Megan and I will actually circle back to this conversation at a later date as well and share some of our big plans for stories. Yeah. So stay tuned on both sides. Anything else you want to add before we close her down? No last words, last words. I mean, no, we could talk for hours about the everything. So well, let's just do part two in a couple months <laughs> when that when there's more magic to talk about. And I will end it with this. Uh, if the story is in you, just tell it and publish it when your time is right. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new 
speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.